Welcome to the Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast, your weekly study group about cosmic witchcraft. I'm not here to teach, just share what I love. I've studied witchcraft like it's my full-time job, and now you don't need to spend as much time and energy to get started. I'm known as Asteria in witchy circles. I'm a city girl, spiritual seeker, and start obsessed like I'm Natsuki Shinomiya in Utapri. Oh, just a warning, there would be loads of otaku references. I'm the one friends that people go to when they want to know whether they can blame a retrograde for their problems, or they can't make sense of their daily tarot card. And now I'm here to be that friend to you too. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy today's episode and I look forward to connecting with you. Happy New Year! I'm going to keep this episode as short as possible, but I have a lot that I want to cover. I will not cover the basics of astrology because there's enough for a whole season and there are many resources out there which I'll link to in the show notes. It's not necessary, but I think you'd benefit from knowing the basics before you listen to this. So if astrology is new to you, feel free to press pause and come back later. What I'm going to focus on is how you can use astrology for your witching. So we'll talk about a brief history of astrology and the main types in use today, planetary transit and aspects, the retrogrades, the house cycles, the new and full moon in the signs, progressed charts and returns, astrocartography, And then I'll leave you with my Prosperity Jar spell. The timestamps will be in the show notes. In fact, I will add last week's Mercury Retrograde Disaster to include those two. The ways I use astrology go beyond just the timing of spells. It's my preferred system to organize pretty much anything in my life. I mentioned this before on Reddit, but I live life as a witch, so spellcraft is there to support what I do in a broader context of how I orient my life. Think of it like the monastic hours giving the rhythm to the life of a nun. You don't have to embrace everything I say. Think of this episode like a pick and mix of the cinema. It gives you options, but it's fine if you just want one type or none. According to the Encyclopedia Britannica, astrology originated in Mesopotamia around the 3rd millennium before the Common Era and spread to India and then the West via Greece in the Hellenistic period, which is after the death of Alexander Macedonia in 323 before Common Era. China also has its own system of astrology, but that's a whole other topic. The difference between the Indian development and the Western development boils down to the calculation of the timing of the starting point 
are the first degree of Aries. In Western or tropical astrology, this is a symbolic date and it coincides with the spring equinox. And all the cardinal signs begin on the equinox or solstice, and that's where the name comes from. In Vedic or sidereal astrology, the date is based on an actual calculation of the movement of the sun, and first degree of Aries is when the sun is in the first degree of Aries. Uh, also understand that they more commonly use the whole house system, which makes sense when you think about what Placidus does with the tropical zodiac. Although I know plenty of people using the whole house with tropical astrology. I'm going to talk about that in the houses segment anyway. I use tropical astrology because I take a loose approach to predictions and mostly use it as a psychological tool. I obviously take very seriously a couple of predictions in my birth chart because it tells me what I want to hear, but otherwise I take the approach that the future is built on patterns from the past unless you consciously break them. And that, as Tony Robbins says, energy flows where attention goes. Whether the energies of the planets are real or symbolic, it matters not. My brain is primed to make things happen according to the information I give it when I look at the transit. But that's our next topic, so I'll say more then. When it comes to tropical astrology, you will find a number of approaches, including astrocartography, which I'm going to talk about today, medical astrology, which I find extremely fascinating, but I'll leave for another episode. Basically think of any area of life and you will find a way to use astrology for it. Most relevant difference though is between modern and traditional astrology. Some people would say that the difference between them is that traditional was more focused on predicting and modern is more about self-exploration, but I think that's not the real difference. You can use both approaches for both things. What's different is which planets are included. I have a heavily scorpionic chart. In traditional astrology, that would be ruled by Mars. In modern astrology, which includes the generational planets discovered after the invention of the telescope, it would be Pluto. The reason I use the modern approach is that I like the way the generational planets are the higher octave of the personal planets, which means they have a resonance that connects the individual with the collective in the themes of our lives. You can even see it as another example of the principle that has above so below. The generational planets tend to govern over themes of the collective and so have a more spiritual slant to the same themes which in the personal planets have a more day-to-day connotation. It's not that I think traditional astrology is wrong in saying Mars rules Scorpio, because Mars is the personal planet that corresponds to Pluto. I just think that the themes of the signs ruled by the generational planets are inherently both individual and collective. So I see some merit in the co-rulership approach too. So anything I'm talking about from now on is from the point of view of modern tropical astrology, although I think most of it can be adapted to suit any of the others if you're more interested in them. If you use astrology in the day-to-day, there are two things that you want to track. The transit of the planets through the zodiac and the aspects that they make with each other. I'll use today as an example. It's Thursday the 5th of January 2023. The sun is in Capricorn, the moon is moving from Gemini to Cancer, with a void of course between 1.07am and 3.16pm Central European time, ready to enter the full moon portal as the moon 
full moon is always on the axis of the signs at 180 degrees in the wheel. Mercury, retrograde and Pluto are also in Capricorn, while Venus ingressed into Aquarius a couple of days ago, where we also find Saturn. Mars is in Gemini and also still retrograde, Jupiter is in Aries, Uranus is retrograde in Taurus, and finally Neptune is in Pisces. The aspects for today are the Sun trining Uranus and squaring Chiron in Aries, Venus in set style with Jupiter and conjunct with Pluto. The way to work with the transits and aspects is a simple formula that you can apply to an individual planet if you have a specific area of focus or to multiple ones if you are working with the astrological energy of the day. Or you can cheat and buy a planet that does it for you. I have the magical eye one. They don't sponsor me, but it's my first year buying it instead of wasting time writing my own planner, and I couldn't be happier. The planet is the what, the sign is the how, and the house is the where. Let's leave the house aside for a second, and let's take for example the sun. The whole reflection on the past year and setting new goals for the new year is a very Capricorn thing to do. Uranus is the generational planet that governs creativity and innovation, and in Taurus, this energy focuses on how we relate to money. Thanks to the trine, today would be a great day to work on your money mindset, to set yourself up for success if you have financial goals, or look into alternative ways to make money. It's also Thursday, which is Jupiter's day. And with the planet in Aries bringing good luck to those who take the initiative, you see now why this week's spell is a prosperity jar. However, if you want to broaden your focus away from money, it's a good day to look for insight, planning the big picture, learning new things and organising things including communications. In fact, I recorded this yesterday and if you're listening on release, I'm in my magical cocoon, planning the year for my business. Another thing you may want to look at when working with the transits and aspects is the degrees at which they take place, although I only use the meanings of the degrees when it comes to reading my birth chart and to identify areas of growth for shadow work, so maybe I'll talk about that in that specific episode. Now, I mentioned that we currently have three planets in retrograde, which means that from our perspective on Earth, it looks like they are moving backwards, towards where they came from. In many cases, they re-enter a sign there they had left prior. A retrograde can be interpreted as a challenge to the sense of normalcy that the transits usually have going forward, which seems to be the way everyone takes Mercury retrograde based on the universal panic that happens every single time. Or it can be seen the way I prefer to see them, which is as an inward focus of the energy of the planet, and by extension, the sign it's found in. And of course, these few things aren't mutually exclusive, so you can brace yourself for miscommunication and your Wi-Fi dying with Mercury retrograde, even if you choose to walk with the energy in the way that I'm giving you now, like, for example, as a focus for shadow walk. I'm going to have a whole episode on that in a couple of weeks anyway. So Mercury, time to reevaluate how you communicate. Bring to a close things that you started rather than starting new ones, especially things to do with Mercury's domain. The energy of the signing in which Mercury is found, even just the element of it, can inform an area of focus, as it is 
as is the houses that governs the third and the sixth and wherever it's placed in your birth chart. At the time of recording, it'll be retrograde in Capricorn until the 18th of January and then three more times before the end of 2023. Venus. Time for healing relationship issues, money issues, your relationship with yourself too. A good time for practicing extra self-care, especially if found in Taurus. As the rule of Taurus and Libra, it governs the second and seventh house. The next retrograde will begin in Leo on July 23rd and where it also ends on the 4th of September. Mars. Mars retrograde is your invitation to take a step back and reevaluate. As a society, we tend to see life as a linear trajectory, always going, always hustling, always seeking to make progress. And Mars retrograde is our biannualish reminder that life is in fact a with ups and downs and setbacks and that we deserve rest too. As the ruler Aries, it governs the first house of self, which is also the house of initiation for the fellow manifestors in human design out there. I mean, it's about beginnings for everyone, but it's especially important for our type. Jupiter. The planet of expansion is not a planet of contraction in retrograde, but it's our chance to look at the inner walk necessary to welcome all the abundance that is Synergy 6 to bestow on us. So it's time for inner growth. If you choose one planet only to be really specific with their position when walking with it, this is it. It rules the ninth house, which itself is focused on expansion and higher learning, and if you want to go full woo, that's where your higher self hangs out. Travel for expanding your horizons in a literal way is one of its domains. So if you were planning six months in an ashram in India or any such spiritual inclined moves, you may want to make it happen so that you find yourself there during retrograde. But the wisdom is to avoid the traveling part itself in that time. Your chances, your next chance, sorry, is between September the 4th and January the 31st, 2024, which will happen in the sign of Taurus. Saturn. Time for reviewing your so-called karmic lessons as we move from the individual planets to the generational ones. These lessons are things imprinted in our DNA. So if you believe in past lives, that's one place where you pick them up but it's also generational trauma which lives in us through epigenetics. I would go as far as to say also the conditioning from what we lived through before the age of seven is a Saturnian theme. See, chances are you had your first experiences with authority. Boundaries, self-discipline, all of the Saturnian themes that are near and dear to my heart and the 10th house heart are its domain. It can also be a time of releasing the pressure that comes from all those things. And that's retrograde will be between June the 17th and November the 4th in Pisces. Uranus. A great time to take a new approach to old things. It's the astrological equivalent of the maxim attributed to Albert Einstein that insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Change your diet, metaphorically speaking, as you won't achieve your desired outcomes unless you do. As the modern ruler of Aquarius, it governs the themes of the 11th house. 
The current retrograding tours will end on January the 22nd and there will be one more in the autumn and winter. Neptune. Generally the planet of the liminal, dreams, illusion, fantasies and all of the powerful things our minds can do, this retrograde is like the reversed moon in the tarot, bringing unusual clarity in place of the usually murky territory governed by our intuition. A good time to look at all the things you long for that you don't allow yourself to admit you want, as well as the addiction we use when we're hiding from the truth of ourselves. Like it's lower octave Venus, it's time to heal ourselves, and especially heal our collective, since its domain is the 12th house. It would be retrograde in his own sign of Pisces between June the 30th and December the 6th, if you want to take me up on that idea of the spiritual sabbatical that I mentioned with Jupiter. Pluto. Finally, the last of the generational planets and modern ruler Scorpio and the 8th house. Time to look at our shadows in the face with the big themes of power and desire which are not something our society really likes us to reckon with, especially as women. It's time to interrogate our true motivations and look at the aspects of ourselves that we don't like and why. Do we need to integrate them or transform them? Luckily for us, the generational planets have long retrogrades, so we can pace the intensity given the heavy themes. It's a good time to pick up some of the trauma that may be too heavy to have healed with the shorter Saturn retrogrades. The next retrograde will begin in Aquarius on May the 1st and end in Capricorn on the 11th of October, just in time for Scorpio season and acting on all that inner work. There are two more aspects that are worth exploring, although if you are not a beginner you're welcome to look into the other asteroids too. I'm talking about the nodes of the moon and Chiron. In the case of the nodes of the moon, which are points calculated and not actual celestial bodies, we have the retrograde as the standard motion, so the interesting changes is the station direct. The retrograde motion is linked to how we are moving away from the south nodes, which represents our comfort zone and the things we have mastered in previous lifetime or learned from our environment in childhood, towards the opposite end of the spectrum. When they go direct, it shines the spotlight on the past again, and it's a chance to look at how it informs our trajectory and what we can learn to bring with us back when they return to their retrograde normality. Finally, Karen, the wounded healer, the celestial body most connected to shadow work and healing a core wound. Its position in the birth chart, both sign and house, shows us what that wound likely is. And the retrograde is a time for those issues that trigger it to come to the surface so that we can address them. Other areas that are affected by Chiron are those governed by your sun sign and rising sign, since both have the theme of self, as well as the houses governed by those signs. Spell work and rituals can be a great support to any work that you do around the retrogrades, as is divination. So, we've been talking about the houses as being one key aspect of the transits when it comes to the wear of the energies. 
There are two simultaneous positions for the houses. The general one based on the zodiac itself, which tells us the rulership of the sign starting with Aries ruling the first house, and then our personal cycle, which starts with the season of our rising sign as ruler of the first house itself, and then gives us things like Midheaven in the tenth house, if you want to work with career issues of Raymond Shelley, to get in touch with our subconscious or the descendant for what you are attracted to, including the characteristics of romantic partners. There are multiple systems to calculate the positions of the houses, and I dropped a link to an overview of them among the resources to learn the basics if you need it. I prefer Placidus since it has a specific time calculation aspect to tropical astrology, which we saw earlier as the zodiac of a fifth symbolic position, but it's really personal preference. If you want to work with astrology, the other systems are equally established and helpful, and if you are using astrology to plan your magic, it makes little difference because if you skip a sign in Placidus, you still have the energy of the sign that corresponds to that house in the zodiac. You can choose to lean into that instead of what sign is on the cusp because the house in Placidus was bigger than 30 degrees. I mentioned earlier that the full moon takes place in the sign that is opposite the sign where the sun is, and consequently the new moon always happens in the sign where the sun is. In between those you have the moon phases taking place over two to three days in each sign since the moon transits the whole zodiac over the course of its monthly cycle. This gives you a chance to work with the moon for any period of time from reflecting the monthly theme of the sun sign with its emotional inner focus to daily focus on the energy of the specific sign, and even then you can pick between the more general vibe of the sign's element or the more specific one of the sign itself. For bigger things like long-term intentions, you can also look at the six months of the axis between a new moon and the corresponding full moon as well, and quarters with the elements. Another way to work with the long-term energy of the zodiac is with the progress charts and the planetary returns. The progress chart can be drawn from any time and it shows your revolution in comparison to the birth chart for your personal planets. You can use any online calculator or if you want to go old school, add one day to the, your date of birth for every year you've been alive and the chances of that day are what your progress chart looks like. The degrees on the sign represents a sort of level of mastery of the domain of the sign, so changes in sign in the progress chart are more significant, but that doesn't mean signs that are still the same had no improvement for you to reflect on. Your progress sun changing signs can be a good time to rebrand yourself or move somewhere else. Any changes to do with yourself. Your progress moon moving sign represents in the maturity, Mercury is about your intellectual activities, you may find yourself dropping friends or interests you had before. Venus will show you the evolution of your taste, Mars the energies and what drives you, Jupiter the unraveling of new opportunities, and Saturn shows us the areas of our life where we encounter limitations or need to set boundaries. Another key aspect of progressions is the planetary returns, which is when a transit happens at the same point in the sky that it occupied at your birth. If you ever wonder why one wish, way to wish a happy birthday is to wish for many happy returns, that's because your solar return happens every year. It's a custom that originated in Roman culture. 
Saturn's return is perhaps the most famous, since it's a quarter-life crisis and mid-life crisis if you're not living accordance with what your deepest self desires. And if you live long enough when you just go, F it, I'm too old to care, and start living like Harry Zapfel after a lifetime of practical clothes or whatever your version will be. Each cycle takes approximately 29 and a half years. However, the other two key returns are Jupiter, which happens every 12 years, and Uranus, if you live to see 84. Although, if you live to see 42, which is more likely, you get to walk with the halfway point, which is considered by some the origin of the midlife crisis, even though I haven't really seen much evidence of it taking place in your early 30s. But basically, anytime between 27 and 60 is fair game for a planet to make you reconsider your life choices. In my opinion, Uranus halfway point in the cycle is more likely to be the age of disruption and innovation on a larger scale. According to research, that's the time when startup founders are more likely to succeed, in spite of the myth of the young geniuses like Steve Jobs, who, by the way, released the iPods and revolutionized the music industry at 40 sets. Jupiter, however, I can see as having more of a personal focus, and I'm looking forward to the potential of good luck associated with this transit since my natural Jupiter was in Taurus in the 7th house. It's basically everything that Jupiter represents highlighted for a whole year every 12 years of your life. You can also look at the more frequent returns like the Moon and Venus to set yourself times to check in with yourself or have rituals or spells to support those themes, or if you're also a business owner and don't have a birth chart for your business, your own Mercury return is a good time to look at your marketing for the business since it's yearly like the sun. The last way to use astrology as a witch that I want to highlight is astrocartography, which is maybe roundabout, but I think the idea of places in the world that have a connection of a specific sorry, a concentration of a specific energy for us to tap into is pretty magical and another worthy way to look at planning spells if you are someone who travels a lot or are looking to relocate or simply want to see what's going on where you are right now. The main source of interest in this approach for me is that it relies not only on the planets but also the quadrant so you really need to focus and look at the energies holistically if you want to take astrology really seriously, since every line extends its impact for 700 miles around it. If you take it more symbolically though, it's like a spicy version of turning a globe and pointing at a random location while blindfolded and booking a vacation there. You get a bit more control on the randomness of letting fate decide for you, metaphorically or otherwise. And since travel is something that requires money, it leads well into our spell for today, which is a prosperity jar. It's something you can do with mostly day-to-day -day things. You likely have on hand, if you don't want to buy new things. Both options have the symbolism of acknowledging our current prosperity anyway, in different ways. You will need an empty jar that you can put somewhere and leave untouched, unless you want to reinforce the spell in some ways. Then for the herbs, sage for prosperity, nutmeg to attract money, cinnamon to bring it fast, cardamom for clarity of mind and speech, cloves for good luck and protection, and then something that represents money or valuable possession. In mine I have extra money and that zirconia bracelet which on top of being a semi-precious stone also has the magical meaning of improving focus, increasing clarity and releasing the ego, and according to some grounding. 
clean the items, I use incense and sound, and do whatever you like to do to prepare yourself and the space. Then, either in your mind or out loud, or even writing it all down, and then putting the paper inside the jar, list all of the items and their purpose as you add them to the jar and close with your choice of invocation. You can also leave the jar out or near your window during a waxing gibbous moon up to the full moon, when you can celebrate the prosperity you already have while being open and grateful for the increase that is to come. Unless I'm putting it out before a full moon, I keep mine near my head on my bedside table, so it's where, when I fall asleep, to some podcast that shows me its ponders or any sleep meditation I might listen to overnight, and I can see it all the time and use it as a reminder of what I'm walking towards, but you do what works for you. That's all for today. We're back next week, retrograde allowing, for our tarot episode. Until then, keep living in wonder. Thank you for listening to the Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast. A huge thank you to Jenna Sword at Jenna S-O-A-R-D on Instagram for the cover art and Papa Planet for the music. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to be notified when a new one comes out, please subscribe on your platform of choice. And if you really love it, leave a five-star rating and review, which will help me be found by more people who will enjoy it too. Also, feel free to share it on social media and with anyone you think should give it a shot. You can send your questions and comments to my email starryskypodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at starryskypodcast. And you can also subscribe to my monthly newsletter at witchymusings.substack.com where I share reflections and tips about the astrological seasons. Until next time!